0: So partially excited, excited for you. Excited. Hello, welcome. On today's episode, we have an amazing woman. Her name is Jennifer Byrne. She is a nutrition coach, a strength and conditioning coach. She has this amazing story how she was able to empower her life. Hello, welcome to the show, Jennifer. How are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Ari, and, and thank you so much for having me on here. That was such a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here.
0: Jennifer, when you were going up. Did, was sport uh, big in your in your household?
1: Um, I say it was a big thing like you know there'd be the usual watching the football and things like that but for me I liked being out and about and I always took part in local groups and schools you know the school I'd always be on the school kind of athletics team and things like that I just enjoyed I suppose wanting to win That there was always that hunger in me of wanting wanting to win and you know the same with Irish dancing I I would have been been a good Irish dancer and I was Leinster champion at one stage for a slip jig so yeah, yeah (laughs)
0: always active <laughs> and why, what got you interested in Irish dancing? Um,
1: I, I, I suppose in primary school, we always had Irish dancing lessons, um, you know, as part of the curriculum. And as I got older, I just, I, there was a dancing teacher across the road from me. I, was just, I said, ma'am, can I just join it? So I went over and I was, you know, I had potential there. Even now, um, when I meet my old Irish dancing teachers, she would say, oh my God, you had so much potential. You could have been Riverdance standard, but... I suppose at the age 15 started getting interested in boys and Irish dancing kind of took the wayside
0: <laughs> and and growing up uh, what influence did your, your parents have on you developing you as who you are now
1: I suppose I came from, a, you know, a regular working class family, Aaron. And my, my dad was a very hard worker, devoted to my mother, even to this day. You know, my, my dad was a hard grafter, always out working. And, you know, it was a happy household. He'd come home, hand the wages to my mom. You know, there was never arguments or anything like that in my house. Or, you know, it was just a regular household. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I would have been a happy childhood growing up. But when I reflect back on it now, you know, there probably was a few issues there because, you know, of my own kind of anxieties and my strive for perfection in life. And I trying to please my parents and, you know, living in their comfort zone. You know, they grew up in a different era. They only knew what they knew. And I suppose for me now, looking back, it's like, you know, I probably did feel a little bit pushed out. I was the eldest of five and I was the oldest so when I was 18 months my next brother would have been born you know so I was I suppose being a girl you probably are very independent anyway but I suppose I kind of felt a little bit emotionally deprived if that makes sense.
0: It does and your perfection competitiveness do you think that came from from you or from the family environment?
1: I'd say my dad would have that kind of element in him like even now I would kind of have arguments with him because he pushes himself way too hard. My dad would be very hard on himself. And I would, would have been like that, that self-critic. Always striving to be better and pushing, pushing, pushing. You know, that type of way. And my dad would be fantastic. He's, he's big into cycling. He would have cycled for the veterans and that as well. But, he, you know, he's 71 now. And I said, dad, it's time to slow down. He, you know, he's down on the bike and he's pushing himself. And you know, it, it is great in a way, but in other ways too, I've kind of had the conversation with my mother like, I think my dad doesn't like being in his own thoughts. He's not comfortable in his own thoughts. He, he always has to be doing something. He can't just sit still. You know, at the age he's at now, I think it's time for him to slow down just a little bit.
0: You're, you're the competitive. It's interesting how what we pick up from our parents kind of slips into our subconscious in some way.
1: Yeah, definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I think my parents' anxieties would have been shadowed on all of us as, as children, you know, we're in the normal household, as I said, but I, I look at us all now. Like there's myself, my brother, my sister, and I have two other brothers. And like myself, and my sister are really talking about this. I'm reflecting on it. Like none of us have ever really been married. I mean, None of us ever got married. All of us have had failed kind of relationships. And my youngest brother would suffer with a, with a kind of a social anxiety disorder. Then there's drugs misuse with my other brother. And you know, there's there's a lot of different things. And my sister would have went through a lot of our own issues too, um, as well. When you look back and you reflect and think on things like that, for me, I think we were the type of family, my dad would bury his head in the sand, not talk about emotion, not say exactly how he was feeling. I think that covering up of feeling and burying your head in the sand, it's a real kind of Irish, an old Irish thing, like, you know, everything's just brushed under the carpet, just get on with it, you know, that type of way.
0: Yeah, I, I do. And it's fascinating how we live in a society now where it's all about, you know, how we talk about, but back then it's all about just put your hand, head in the sand and keep moving, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's kind of how I would have been brought up. Not saying that anything wrong. Right. I don't, you know, God, I love my parents dearly. You know, but that's just what they knew. And um, so, you know, I, I kind of had to have, because my sister would have been a bit resentful of how we were rare and this, that and the other. And I said, well, you know, when you're pointing the finger of blame, don't forget you've got four pointing back at you. I think we all for me you have to be truthful with yourself you have to be honest with yourself in life i wasn't honest with myself for a long time i wasn't living who i should be or who i am and it took me a long while to figure out that and be comfortable with who i am and not trying to be the best daughter or not trying to get in trouble because i didn't want my parents getting upset you know and i was kind of it stopped me from doing stuff i suppose because i always needed that kind of acceptance from my parents that you know it was okay with my parents once it was okay with my parents that was fine but that wasn't me being true to me.
0: While you were getting like through your teens and into adulthood did this not being comfortable in your skin continuing?
1: Yeah I suppose I always even looking back now just on you know teenage boyfriend girlfriend kind of thing and that I would always chase around after a guy and, you know, they try and finish with me and I'd be like, oh, God, I'll change. I'll change. Or, you know, I I wasn't self-acceptant. I was always willing to change for somebody else.
0: And with trying to change, did you feel like you had to go to like that competitive edge? I need the next hit, I need the next adrenaline rush. Is that kind of what what happened?
1: Um, I, I didn't really look at it like that, Aaron, but now that you mention it, yeah, it probably was. It was always that striving for attention or acceptance, I think. How, how, was, how was I going to be accepted or how was I going to get this attention? Okay, I, I, I'll be the best at what I was doing or I'll, I'll I'll just kind of, be you know, just kind of adapt to certain situations, which, you know, further on in life I did. And even though they weren't right for me, you know, I made a lot of wrong choices in my life. You know, as I got older, it was acceptance of that, accepting responsibility for where my life was going and my journey in life. Like I said, just being truthful and blatantly honest with myself, accepting responsibilities, self forgiveness. You know, there was a lot a lot going on. But that was all didn't happen until like hitting nearly forty, <laughs> you know. So um I had probably forty years of, of not being Jennifer.
0: That's a long time of not being Jennifer.
1: Yeah. You know, it was always kind of not feeling that I was lost in life, but I, I was kind of living the life that I suppose society would see. You know, being brought up, my parents was like, get out, you know, get a good pensionable job, you know, get married, buy a house, have kids. I, I didn't do it that way. And I think I always probably felt... Are my parents disappointed in me or, you know, like they have told me they've been proud of me and things like that. But my, my dad wouldn't be over emotion, emotional. Like he wouldn't show his emotions much. Now he's getting better now. I'll go up and I'll give him a hug or something, you know. You know, but I, I didn't really, I don't ever remember my dad telling me he loved me or, you know, things like that.
0: Do you feel that you you were kind of, until your forties, kind of chasing that acknowledgement of, of love through your, through your life?
1: Definitely, because I've made bad choices when it came to relationships definitely without a shadow of a doubt it was all the time looking for that love seeking that love 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 but at the end of the day when you look back and reflect i had to learn to love myself first and accept who i was
0: so you're you're in your adult and you're kind of bouncing from here to there to there what kind of made you realize hey i'm I'm jennifer i need to change something
1: it all came to a head around my 40th birthday erin I had been in a spiraling self-destruct mode at this stage of my life. I'll just just take a step back, give you an idea of of kind of what I'm talking about. So in my twenties, I would have met my first son's dad. We were very young. I had Ryan when I was 23, you know, so we were a young couple and before that was fine. We were just a regular going out, dating, working all week. You know, it got a bit serious. We moved in together and it was, everything was fine. You know, as I said, just out working all week and come the weekend, just going out and, you know, just being young, which was fine. But then when Ryan came along, you have to grow up when you have a child. And Ryan came along and I suppose, you know, I started seeing the cracks. I was like, I was moving on, kind of maturing, I suppose, as a mother. But his dad was still kind of in that mode. Like I realized then there was a bit of a problem because, you know, he was missing work. He wasn't getting a full week's wage. Rent wasn't being paid. And, you know, he was all the time, he, he was a typical, you know, down the weekend in the pubs, football and, you know, in the pubs at the bar and things like that. And I was like, well, this is not right. You know, the lies and about money and this, that, and the other. And i oh, sure I was late in work. That, the boss docked me this and that and the other. So obviously, you know, that that was bound to fall apart. You know, and we we parted, um, when Ryan was near, just going on too, we parted. You know, unfortunately, like Ryan's dad would have spiralled down himself in in his own problems with drink and that. You know, so he would have been in and out of Ryan's life for a, for a while and then i was working full-time at the time in a healthcare company as a production supervisor and at the time we had an awful lot of immigrants coming over then from from africa and that so that's when i met Jamal's dad. he would have been working for me on the um, production line so to kind of give you an idea of what i'm talking about like when i was with ryan's dad i felt like i wasn't getting that attention that love that i needed he wouldn't have cared what I was doing or where I was at as long as he was able to go down to the pub and watch the football and have the pints with his pals. And then you have this charming man who's given me all this attention, you know, you know, bringing me out, started whining and dining me, bringing me to restaurants and, you know, you would be out in the nightclub and he'd even walk me to the toilet, you know. And I was like, Jesus, this is... I didn't see the signs then, you know. I, this was the start of me being totally controlled by somebody else for the next 11, 12 years of my life. But at that time, I was vulnerable. I had come from somewhere where I didn't feel like I was getting the attention I needed to polar opposite where I was getting all this attention. That kind of spoiled fairly quickly. You know, I got pregnant after five months and I had Jamal when I was 26. But I suppose the first physical assault would have happened when I was about seven months pregnant. Now, before that, there was a kind of few signs that, looking back now, you know, I didn't... The alarm bells didn't really go off. I was young, naive. You know, I was very vulnerable. I was a single mother there with a child, and he knew that. He, He had kind of roped me in because, obviously, I wasn't just a single girl that was free to do what she wanted. I had a child at home, so that kind of suited him. He knew that I wouldn't have been able to get out in the belt as much as, as a, a regular single girl of 23, 24 years of age, you know. So that would have started from there and, you know, seven months pregnant on Jamal and the first assault, as I said, happened like after being out with, with a group of his friends and I was accused of flirting with one of his friends like you know I'm seven months pregnant I'm certainly not going to be flirting with anybody and you know I just remember just getting that kick up you know from behind and you know that pain that shot up through me I thought I was going to go into labour and like that then the apologies and you know the next day I was brought out and he treated me to something and you know the promises that'll never happen again and this that and the other and you know but the cycle of abuse had started that was the start of it you know and that continued then you know on and off for, for 12 years you know I've I've had cracked ribs. I've had st- stuffed trauma. My my head was split open. I've been bruised <laughs> everywhere. I I laugh now as I say I I, I was it became a great makeup artist. I, I was able to hide the bruises using eyeshadow eyeshadow was a great thing under the the foundation to hide bruises. You know, but you know, it, it was a tough tough time. Very very tough. I I suppose you know I always ask the question. Do you ever feel like you're just walking through life with blinkers on? You're existing, but you're not actually living. And, and that was me for, for 12 years, you know, physical abuse, mental abuse. I'd been spat at, you know, i have been told I'm good for nothing, I, I, horrendous stuff. When you are constantly in that environment, you're, you're so conditioned to it because people will always say, why didn't you just walk? Why didn't you just get out? But I, I'd never stay in a relationship like that. But the reality of it is you just do not know how you're going to react in any traumatic stage of life. You know, nobody can tell until you've actually experienced it yourself. I didn't have the confidence to get out in the beginning because obviously there, there was threats there as well, like that my son was going to be taken away to Africa. I'd never see him again. You know, th- there was an awful lot going on, a lot. And I lived like that for 11, 12 years, not being me, suppressing everything inside of me. And I was empty. Like, I had this conversation, you know, later on in life too with, with my parents and that, um, and my, my sons. Like, I was always there as a mother, physically, getting them out to school, you know, doing the best I could. But emotionally, no. And it was like I was repeating the cycle that my parents kind of had. You know, I kind of become like them and, and emotionally, I, I wouldn't have been there for my, my children and I, I suppose my eldest boy would have suffered a lot because of that. But now it's like, you know, I, I'm all the time hugging and tell them I love them and I drive them mad, I think, at this stage, you know? So, yeah, you know, that's kind of the background of where I'm coming from and where I'm at and why I said I didn't really know who I was until I was around 40 years of age. I would have broke free from the abusive relationship, finally got the strength after, you know, 11 years. I had, I suppose, I began taking back a little bit of control once my children were in school. I started going to the local community centre to a little kind of... You know the aerobics and fitness classes and and that made me feel like jennifer just for those hour and a half it was just like it was like my escapism it was fantastic and always like throughout all all my life there's always been that sport and that exercise as i said the fourth man of my life is is the gym you know gym you know mentally that has always got me through a lot of stuff. I would have continued to go into the, the fitness classes, then a little job um, for a creche supervisor came up in the um, community centre, so I took that, didn't go down too well at home because obviously I was getting a bit of my own independence, a little bit of income for me, which was great. Back at the time, there was a community employment scheme and you got paid for those, so I think I was getting something like a thousand euro a month, which was great. I could bring the children around on days off school and things like that. And summer holidays, there was always summer camps going on at the community centre. So it was working out well. Obviously, everything was still going on in the background at home. But, you know, I was just feeling a little bit of sense of, of getting Jennifer back again. So the two years of the C scheme, then were coming to an end. And obviously the kids are getting a bit bigger. And I, I started getting a bit of panic. It's like, oh my God, I'm enjoying this. I need to continue doing something. So I applied to the adult education center in Leeksep and VITAS. And I went back there and I did a business diploma. And I also did my leading cert in French and Spanish. And I really fell in love with the languages and loved it. They would have encouraged me then to continue on to Minute university. Um, so I would have been in Vitos for about three years. And coming to the end of my final year, I'd finally had enough at home. And I was kind of starting, you know, that, that, downhill of self-destruct mode i was you know doing the kind of the norm during the week getting up going to to my my course getting the kids out to school and you know doing the regular things and then come the weekend i was just getting up i take my eldest son with me and i i go out friends houses just drinking and partying and whatever you know and relying way too much on alcohol um and then back again one day you know the regular going to the gym doing my course you know it, but it was kind of being one was outweighing the other, like it was pointless because I wasn't really getting anywhere, you know. Because you know when you're when you're drinking a lot and because that progressed a little bit. Then I, when I finally broke free from the abusive relationship, I was just about to start my next journey in into university. Now it took me two years to finally like get him out of the house, so that's another story. I'm not going to go into that. There were tough times Tough, tough trying times Emotionally On me It was really, really tough And I think The turning point for me Would have been the last attack you know i remember sitting in my sitting room my eldest son was 12 and i was sitting there waiting just about to sit down and have my dinner and i just remember hearing the, the door opening and I, I i just i just just that sense of fear again i knew something wasn't right and he just came in and started on me for some stupid reason that i hadn't given him his dinner or something like that and i just remember the plate being splattered like knocked down my hand and then just the wall across the face and and the stars i can start seeing the stars and the tears and I just looked up and, and my eldest son was there with a knife in his hand saying you, you leave my mam alone and I, I knew then I just that was my, my time I said no that's, that's enough enough I just knew I, everything was running through my head then at that stage as you can imagine and um, you know your 12 year old son like I, I'm his mother I should be protecting him from this type of thing like you know and I had dread and I can't even explain the amount of emotion that went on inside me at that stage and I just knew I said no I have to get out of this situation um, you know as I say visions maybe my, what happened if my son stabbed him or as they get older you know they grow up without a mother or something you know it's just awful thoughts were going through my head so I just knew that was my my turning point my, my love for my children at that stage was like no this is not you have to get out of this you know so that's that would have been the turning point for me when i knew i just had to get out of it so yeah you know like i said everything was kind of going on on the outside world everyone thought oh you're doing great or whatever and but yeah behind closed doors it was it was a world of turmoil and self-destruct you know so finally getting them out and i was a year i suppose in my first year of college i got into my new college to start my degree course i did anthropology spanish and french um, in my first year You know, when you're in an abusive situation for that length of time, you know, you come out of that situation. And my first reaction was to start going out and I was free, so I could do what I wanted. I could go where I wanted and I could talk to who I wanted. So I kind of rebelled a little bit against that. And I went out and went totally for about 18 months. The usual going through the the weekly motion, but then come the weekend, I I was going out and I was getting in with younger guys and going back to house parties. And I, I started snorting cocaine. You know, really going into self-destruct mode, turning myself into somebody that I wouldn't have even recognised. You know, this was, I knew, you know, this wasn't Jennifer. Total self-destruct mode, and I always believed that, you know, that cycle of abuse was really, really tough, but coming out of that cycle, continuing that cycle of self-abuse was actually worse went into total destruct mode, and like I said then, it all just came to a head around my 40th birthday. And I just remember just sobbing them on the floor in my bedroom, and I knew, I just said, Jennifer, this is not you. I was in my second year of college, and I was like, this is not you. You're worth so much more than this. Like, what are you doing? I I just didn't recognize myself. I didn't know who I was. So I started from there. I thought, I just knew that moment in time, no, something has to change, so. From there, like, you know, I'm 46 now, and by God, so much has happened in the last six years. It's not easy. I work on it every day. You know, I, I had to start small. I started off just with a little book of affirmations. And every morning I got up and I read an affirmation and I, I carried that through the day with me. I continued, like I said, the exercising was just, that gym was, that gym saved my life, I think, for me, mentally. It really did. and um, It gave me some focus. Along with the college, it was giving me focus, you know for me apart from being a mother and that it, this was jennifer graduated from college i got my 2-1 degree double honors in, in french and spanish so that was a, a major achievement so from there like, i was continuing the self journey as i said nourishing myself um when i finished college i thought great i'll, I'll walk straight into a career you know i'll finally have a career i have a degree and uh, started applying for jobs interviews and that but obviously you know nothing was happening I was like oh my god but you know I started seeing the world differently I started thinking differently and you know every no was turned into it's not for you it's the next opportunity Jennifer and in the meantime I had been approached in the gym by somebody who said would you not think about competing because I I had really gotten into weightlifting you know I loved it Um, I loved the resistance training I started laughing, I was thinking, like, you're mad, like, I'm not going to get up and, and prance around on a stage at 43 years of age, <laughs> um, but then I said, you know what, no, I will, I'll take it on. So I did. I, I took on the, the the journey of getting myself up into that mean um, physique to um, compete in both NABA and RIBBF uh, bodybuilding competitions. And for me, that journey really, really started making me believe in myself. It gave me confidence in myself. I felt it wasn't about the aesthetics. It wasn't about how I looked. It was about how I was feeling. I was really, I felt alive again. I felt like I was living, I was doing something for me and I loved it. And I remember stepping up out on that stage, like, I, you know, the sense of fear, like i have been tr- in an awful lot of fearful situations in my life, but this was a positive fear. It was like, oh my God, I just, I have one, vision in my head where I'm standing and like I mean my posing was atrocious but there was one really good picture I just remember that was the moment I felt like the phoenix rising from the flames and I was sticking my two fingers up at everybody who had hurt me or you know the last saying goodbye to my previous life and I was just standing there and that was the moment I felt empowered I felt strong both in body and mind yeah so that that was an amazing experience and um That really gave me confidence to continue what I was doing. I suppose because I wasn't really getting the jobs and that, I started doing a little blog. I loved cooking and and baking, and I was putting up little recipes, and people were loving it, and I started studying nutrition. I did an advanced diploma course in personalised and uh, sports nutrition, and then I continued on and became a certified persistent nutrition coach. So that's kind of like nutrition for health, fitness, and um, sports nutrition. It's a deep health coaching programme which I, I'm passionate about. That would have been, I suppose, after the bodybuilding competition, it would have been 43, going on 44, and I, I entered two body competition, bodybuilding competitions within two years. I also became a grandmother in those two years as well, which was a shock, but that was, that was a major. That was another big, big positive in my life, and um, becoming a grandmother. So yeah, that's what I, you know, and I think it was through those feelings and, and through out everything in my life, it was always how exercise made me feel. That is why I turned my passion into what I wanted to do. I knew this is my purpose on, on, on this earth. This is what I need to do. I need to get my story out there and empower and encourage and lead and help as many as I can maybe get over or come push through challenging times through, you know, nourishing themselves, nourishing their mind, nourishing their bodies. And I believe in, in a deep health approach. And it's looking at like there's all like six pieces to the jigsaw. You have your physical health, you know, you have your emotional health, your mental health, your existential health, like why why you want to make changes to your health or, or your life, your relationship health, who who supports you or environmental health, who's, who's surrounding you, you know, so it, it, it's a whole broad spectrum. I had to change all of these things. I had to improve my, my, my life in all those areas. I had to distance myself from certain people, not saying they were bad people, but they just weren't for me. I looked after myself physically. I looked after myself mentally. I I was very aware of my environments. You know, I I stopped watching the news and things like that. That's just through my own choice. I know bad stuff happens in the world, you know, but I just choose not to be engrossed in it. I I started making a lot of more positive choices. I choose what I look at on my social media, for instance. And that's one of the first things I'll do with clients is make sure they do a spring clean on their social media. Like, what what are you watching on your, your feed? Like, what are you scrolling through? You know, when you're mindlessly scrolling like that, the subconscious mind, as you know, is picking up all this negativity, all this, you know, and I, I just choose not to be in that world. I don't want to be in that world because there's so much more to life. And that's why I'm passionate about my deep coaching program because I know it works. You know, I, I'm living proof of that. I, I've gotten myself and I've pushed myself through challenging times and I've learned to love myself from from within. I, I've learned to kind of see the the red warning signs when I'm kind of spiraling into that kind of more negative mode or negative mind frame you know whenever you want to kind of whatever way you want to choose it but it's okay to feel like that too and that's fine i had to accept that it's okay to be not perfect progression is is is, is what we're after we're after progression not perfection and that's something that i had to really work on with myself that it's okay to be wrong or it's okay to ask for help which is something i found really difficult throughout my life was was, was to ask for help Yeah, that's kind of my my, my whole story and the background of where I'm coming from and why I'm so passionate about what I do. And, you know, I've become a best-selling author as well in the last six years, both Irish Times and Amazon best-selling author with the book We Summit Together, where I wrote a chapter about claiming back my power and just a little bit about my story. Also, um, I've done hell and back. I've jumped out of an airplane. I've done a parachute jump. Um, and, and things are just getting better and better and you know like I said I, I, I you know continued on and went back and was still continuing to self-develop I did a business development course then got my personal training certification um, like I said because I just felt like I wanted the certification to be able to go and help as many people as, as I could and I'm continuing to grow and I'm continuing to learn each and every day you know talking you know even talking to likes yourself Aaron and that and learning more about people like there's a lot a lot of really really good people out there that really really want to see you do well and it's all down to choice it's all down to what we allow within our environments you know I I look after myself if I'm in a situation where I feel uncomfortable I just say in my head okay this is not good Jennifer this is not you you know I, I I kind of move away from frivolous conversations where people are just kind of talking about people or critical or you know backstabbing people and things like that and i, I choose to not be in those situations now or i'll, I'll try and change the conversation if, if i find somebody's kind of bringing me down that route because i i don't want to be like that that's not me i'm all about love like everything i do is with love it's with passion it's with that fire that moment you know if i could sell how i felt up on that stage working on myself and at that journey i was on I'd be a billionaire now if I could sell, if I could bottom up that feeling. It's just, it's amazing. You know yourself from, from you know, sporting-wise and your sporting background, Aaron. It's that feeling you get. It's not about how you look or, you know, it's about that feeling. And, and that's what I aim to promote. Like, my mission is to change the kind of mindset within the health and fitness industry away from that diet mindset and only exercising to lose weight or because you're at the cake no you you know i want to build better relationships with you know better relationships all around you know have better relationships with your health with your food with your relationships better relationships even with exercise because you know i've been in that bodybuilding world and i've seen how obsessed people get with exercise too and it's not all just about the gym like i i'm a firm believer like in in the great outdoors and the power of nature hiking out on your bike walking whatever it is find something you love to do but the key element of that is finding something that you know you can sustain that it's sustainable and that you can build up these positive habits into your lifestyle and continue and continue to build these positive habits into your lifestyle so that you can lead a healthier happier more fulfilling life
0: in becoming a bodybuilder what was your favorite what was your favorite exercise you like doing
1: <laughs> i love all exercising because i i'm a firm believer in the mind muscle connection area. You know, when I was working in in the office um, and working one to one with clients, that's something. And I always worked on with them, like not just you're not just going through emotion. Think about the muscle you're working. Work that mind muscle connection. And it's amazing once you click from that and you're not just doing emotion and you know because obviously you need to focus and it's it's that focus that's getting you out of your mind for a while so you know i would have dealt with maybe clients who would have suffered a little bit of anxiety and that and it was great because it was getting them to think away you know their their focus wasn't on their anxiety or whatever the focus was on that muscle they were working and you know and it really works I'm, i'm a firm believer in that mind muscle collection I have moved solely. I'm solely online coach now at the moment. You know, but hopefully in the future I would love to get out and back out working with people as well, again, you know. But like I said, I I wouldn't have had a favorite exercise, no. I just, I loved watching the growth. I loved the science behind it. I loved watching my body changing and the food and and kind of looking at the amount of food I would need if I needed to to build up some lean muscle or maybe what I had to do to kind of lean out a little bit. And, And it was just, I loved the whole kind of the science end of it too. And that's why I went in and studied the precision nutrition course, which was fantastic, you know.
0: You, you have a, a story where you've had addiction, abuse, but yet you went into the gym and all that disappeared. And probably when you meet clients, you can, you can understand the, 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 the power that looking good, feeling good, both in your physical, mental, um, and other lifestyles as well.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose, like, I mean, I was looking to sense, Aaron, I think it shows my strength of character and my resilience that I didn't actually become a full blown addict. And I'm thankful for that. Like it was like more recreational. Like I still have the odd drink now, which is great, but it was getting to a stage in my life where I couldn't go out at the weekend and, you know, just have a few drinks. It was always like, I had to be find a party and then have to have the cocaine, you know? So I would have been like a weekend binger, if that makes sense, but it was addictive. You know, it wasn't a good cycle to be in. But I didn't become like a full-blown addict, so I wouldn't have the kind of experience in that sense that I needed to go into treatment or anything like that. But I would know people and I've been around people who would be in addiction and would be, have been in, in treatment and rehab centres and that. So I'd know a lot, of, I'd have a lot of insight into it, but I didn't actually experience that myself. I'm really, really lucky in the sense and I'm really grateful that I didn't go down that route because I could have, I could have ended up in rehab. But there was just that something inside of me, that resilience, and because I suppose I'd underfocus focus, as in my exercise, and I was doing my college degree, that I knew I was worth something. I think a lot for addiction is, is, the, is the lack of self worth.
0: Yeah, um, it, it shows you that you, you had you had something that you could fall back on in, in some way.
1: Because I was starting to build in positive habits into my life. Yeah, I had already started. Um, and I always had that positive one positive thing in my life like aside from my children like it was always the gym and, and that 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 positive that was a positive thing in my life
0: it shows you how having a positive thing in life keeps you motivated regardless of of what's happening in the background
1: definitely without a shadow of a doubt i mean that's why i always said it's it saved me it saved me you know little did i know going back 14 15 years ago starting those exercise classes in the community center i do that full circle and come back right around and that's where i had my office that, you know, so it was like a full circle, the full 360. So that's, you know, I call it my, my 360 degree approach to health as well, because it was just, you know, the way life can happen and the way your journey, you know, the directions and the turns and twists and turns your your, your journey can take. But then it would always led me back to where I started, you know?
0: I, I like that 360 view because that's what the body is. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. I like that.
1: Yeah, but that's what I do. I, it's a 360 degree to health and well-being. It's a deep coach. That's why I like to call myself a deep health coach. I'm not just a health coach or a personal trainer or a nutritionist, you know, because it's not all about meal plans or that. Like I, the, the whole problem is, is around educating people. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's getting people to kind of live a life that, that they can sustain. And that they can do, you know, it's building a lifestyle for, for for them. It's not me telling them what to do. It's building a lifestyle that suits them because, like, we're all different. We're not all one size fits all, you know. It's you know understanding how healthy eating and lifestyle practices can affect every aspect of your well-being and bringing in little small habits. It's it's, it's a habit-based program. So every two weeks you get a different habit. Like. Obviously, it depends on where you're at, what stage you're at. Like some people, their habit might be starting really, really basically, like drinking a glass of water, get every, you know, getting those those two to three liters of water in every day. For somebody else, they might be already a few steps further down the road. So for them, it might be okay. I'm going to get two five k runs this week, or my habit every day is going to get out and do ten thousand steps. You know, depending on where you're at you know and that's what I love about it it's not going out and just preaching oh you have to do this you have to do that and a lot of personal trainers out there you know and they know their stuff they are they are amazing they know ins and outs like anatomy wouldn't have been my forte you know <laughs> but they would know the whole you know all of that inside out and they know everything and how to instruct really well but they don't know how to coach and that's the difference they, they don't have that connection with with their client because they're just doing their textbook because they haven't really experienced real life they're still I'm not saying they haven't but a lot of them have and I've met some really really fantastic and wonderful coaches as well but a lot of the younger ones they're just coming out of college they don't really have life experience and they're just doing a textbook so you know know, down the road I'd love to have my own online academy where I I would educate as well give them some tools on on how to be a better coach and how to work with people in the real world
0: a coach at the end of the day is a motivator, a teacher. It's it's not just someone following, you know, an A B C step because you may come in for that training session and say, Hey, I'm not feeling well at home. You know, their job is to make sure you feel okay during that session. So it's, it's I totally agree with you.
1: You know, it's not it is it's not all that. You know, because people think because I've been in the bodybuilding, no, I've done a bit of that. And I'm gonna do another one again. And I think oh, we're gonna yeah. I think we might make it a little docu serious. like a great few producers now in, in, in the outstanding network, you know. So um, there could be something in the pipeline there for my 50th birthday. I'm, I'm 47 this year, so it gives me three years. So that's plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think, like, you know, it, it, it is. It's, coaching is like life will always change, and you're going to be in so many different circumstances, and it, nothing is ever black or white. And I think we all have to kind of live in the gray area and be prepared for challenges, and it's how we deal with them. So I'm still going through challenging times. My eldest son is actually in prison. But I don't choose to go back to that lifestyle of, oh, drinking or negative mind frame or affect this, like, or whatever, and and blame, blame, you know, blame, whatever. It's acceptance of that. And that's out of my control. You know, it's a power out of my control. I can't control that. So, you know, all I can do is just be a more positive in his life and be, be that positive somebody in his life. You know, because for a long time, my relationship with him would have been very chaotic. You know, because I was, as I said, got in self-destruct mode and not wanting to face myself, not wanting to face my own problems here at home, you know. And that would have continued and Ryan would have ended up then getting involved in, you know, we would have started smoking weed and things like that and getting in trouble. And, you know, at 16 years of age, I had to get him locked up for his own safety. You know, so as a mother, that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I remember him knocking at the door he wasn't doing what he was meant to be doing with probation officers and that and you know I had kicked him out of the houses because obviously I just couldn't have that in my house and he was only 16 and that absolutely broke my heart like I I remember him knocking at the door I knew he'd stayed out all night and he didn't stay at his friend's house and oh can I come in for a shower and I, I had to say no not unless you go and meet your probation officer and I stuck with it and I just remember closing the door and breaking down, like sliding in the door and roaring and crying because that was that was a really difficult thing to do, to turn away your own 16-year-old son. But it was a case of tough love. A case of tough love. But unfortunately, you know, he he, he come back out, he was in, I suppose, 16, 17, juvenile. And, you know, he he he's a good kid. He's just so easily led. And I'm like Ryan. He he went through a lot in his his young life. As I said to him now, on my last visit him, I'm like, he's 22, he's a young dad now, and he's a fantastic dad. You know, he really is. Yeah, And he's still going to be young when he gets out within the next year. And I said, Ryan, you have your whole life ahead of you. You know, leave those 10 years of madness behind. Um, and he's seen how much I've grown and how much I've changed. So, you know, I'm hoping that positive influence will, will, will you know, he'll see that, you know, you can change your ways. And nobody really gives a shit if, you're, if you've been in prison, Ryan. If you if you really want to change your life and, and choose a different path, he's so much to give back. And. You know, I was only having this conversation yesterday with somebody saying I, "I the dream would be for him to come out. And I think he would be fantastic to go in, you know, speaking with youths and juveniles and showing people that you can change your ways. And, and you know, he just wants to be out now and rear his son and go football training with and that And he, he realises now that, you know, it's not a life for a child. As I said to him, you know, he, he would have never grown up with that kind of a lifestyle, prisons are... None of our families, you know, I wouldn't have been, never been in the prison in my life. (laughs) It was like. I wanted to kill him, you know, that type of way. But uh, he's my son, and he'll always be my Ryanie, as I call him. And I love him dearly. And as I said, yeah, all I can do is just be that positive influence for him in his life. And I'll always be here for him, no matter what. Um, And I I just, I really hope that he does does, um, change his ways. He's had had a lot of time to reflect. So that's been good. He's had a lot of time, and he's doing really well in there, and doing a lot of programs. And so, you know, I'm hoping for the best. I think the future is, is a lot brighter. Yeah, definitely
0: people around us influence, influence us in, in some subconscious way, I think, um, in some way. In uh, on one hand, you used to be the mother, but on the other hand, it must have felt hard. But looking back now where he's about to come out, do you feel like it was the good, the, the right decision to do?
1: Um, at the time for me, yeah, um, like obviously the second time he got himself locked up was through his own fault. You know, he was obviously, he was an adult, he was 21. But at that time at 16, yeah, I, I made that conscious decision along with his probation and the detective at the time because I didn't know, you know, he he, he was in a spiral of self-destruction. He was lost, God love him. He was lost, you know, because he would have seen me at my worst too, I suppose. That kind of hurts, you know, I, I, I blamed myself for a long time over that, but I would have got some counselling when he went into prison and... That was great, that was fantastic. True, the um, like Kayla mentoring, they were really good. You know, they, they give counselling to, to parents of, of youths in prison and things like that. So I would have got some counselling then and I let go of that blame because I did blame myself for Ryan. And he, he's, he's, he's seen enough for his young life. He's seen way too much because he would have seen a lot of kind of alcohol abuse down with his dad as well when he would have been visiting his dad and things like that in memory, you know, um, over the years too he wouldn't have really had a safe haven, as I would say. You know, he'd be going down to his dad's maybe the odd time and there'd be, you know, there'd be issues with drink there and whatever with his dad and his his partner then and coming home here and there was abuse in this house too, you know, so he he had it both ways and, but, you know, it is what it is and it's the past now and, you know, we just have to deal with it and he needs to be able to deal with it. Ryan wouldn't be able to show emotion. You know, Ryan gets very angry, he has that rage, he still has that rage and anger within him, you know, and, and that's something he needs to learn to deal with, which he has been, he's been working on great um, while, while being in prison and obviously he's, he's drug free, he's no weed or anything like that in the system. So, you know, he's, he's, turned, you know, he's, a, he's a proper, thinking for himself, being comfortable thinking for himself, you know?
0: And bodybuilding we see we see steroids is kind of like the conversation that's going around. It's kind of a two-part question. First, first part, did you kind of say no, I don't use steroids and did you see it when you were in competition?
1: No, I never used steroids. I, I actually documented my first journey on my Facebook and social media and um, just to show people that you could do it naturally just through hard work and obviously like Aaron, I wasn't going doing bodybuilding to become a pro um, I wasn't looking for a pro card or anything like that. Like, obviously it's evident. Um, I didn't actually see it myself, like people using steroids, but you'd know people that were using steroids because you can just tell. You know, each to their own choice, that's fine. I, it just wasn't, it's not the route I wanted. I was doing it in a natural way. For me, it wasn't about becoming the best pro card bodybuilder or anything like that. For me, it was a healing journey for me. It it was how it was making me feel, you know, how it was building me back up as a person. I was building myself up piece by piece, muscle by muscle. But I was working on the main muscles, which were my brain and my heart, you know?
0: Yeah. And don't forget the (laughs) gut.
1: Well, the gut as well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously the (laughs) gut.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny, you pick bodybuilding to build the muscles, the brain and the heart because of, and it's, I think that's funny how you're you're building your your body and your mind to be successful and, and you did that, you know
1: yeah yeah and i I, i've always been striving for that success i do see myself as being successful now like obviously there's still you know you still get days where you you doubt yourself and you know i suppose when i closed up the office last summer and had moved everything online i was getting the frustration you know because the current situation we're in now with the coronavirus and that like before all this i had kind of started to apply for part-time jobs and that because financially I needed to because I wasn't getting the income I was with the online coaching you know and it's been it's, it's like the universe all the time every time I look back I'm like the universe was always there pushing me don't give up don't give up don't give up so now this has happened and the last week and a half has just been amazing the networking I've been making the connections I've been making all through online and I can see this business soaring. I can see my brand, my, my name, Jennifer Byrne, being seen out there as one of the, the leading experts within the industry. And that's just all in the space of a week and a half, talking to the right people, listening to the right people, having some really in-depth conversations with the right people that are really genuinely there that want to see you be successful and be somebody. And, and it's just been fantastic. So, you know, that's been a really great positive Um, out of a a current situation and it's like what somebody had said during the week like out of every crisis there are opportunities but you've got to seek them you've got to open your eyes and and grab every opportunity that you can and when you're in that right mind frame everything just it's like you know you're sending out those vibes to the universe when you're sending out those vibes and everything's going to come back and you're like I would have had that probably send out the wrong vibes you know even though I, I developed myself personally and emotionally and physically there was still one element of my life that I still lacked and that was the financial end of things you know I, I was still in a lot of debt from you know obviously breaking down relationships and that and I'm carrying that debt the last 10 years and I was like something has to change so now it's made me realize I've given myself the year you know I have the figures and it's like it's my main focus for the the next year is to become financially free and cash rich because the more, when I'm financially free, I can work at my best. I don't have that stress. I can help and be the best I can be for everybody else. Because every other area of my life is, is, is fine. You know, I, I've worked really hard on that. And the next bit is the financial freedom and the cash rich and making something of myself. And then when I hit that, then I'm ready maybe to finally meet somebody because I'm in fully independent. Every area of my life is in sync. And then, you know, I, I'd like to hopefully then meet somebody.
0: It's having the goal because if you don't have a goal, you can't you can't achieve and strive to meet those those criteria that you want to want to achieve.
1: That's it. It's it's like everything. No matter how big or small your goal is, for somebody somebody's goal might be just to get up in the morning, get up out of bed. That's something I'm very, very conscious of, you know, and that's why even on my social media, you know, I in my stories, every morning I'll put up an affirmation and a picture of me outside or a picture or just a little video of, of where I am, listening to the birds or whatever, because I know myself, there were days where I just didn't want to get up out of bed. But this, these things always made me feel better. So if I can just put a smile on one person's face in the morning, that maybe they're not feeling like getting out of bed, but they just see something positive and, and I do get some really lovely messages that I have helped people through difficult times just by just putting up that or showing them a bit of the outside or whatever, you know? So I'm really conscious of that because I know I've been there in those really dark, dark places and those dark, dark days, you know?
0: As being a nutrition coach, you probably see all these crazy diets and everything. Does, does it frustrate you when you see them or is it just like, oh, that person chooses that or this person chooses that, you know?
1: Food is just food. People tend to overcomplicate everything. And this is something I am just so like passionate about. I'm like food, it's building a good relationship with food. I don't like labels, I don't like good foods, clean foods, bad foods, paleo, vegan, whatever. I don't like labels, food is food. Each to their own, everyone has a choice to make. No one diet or no one pill or shake or magic, anything like that makes you lose weight. The basic science behind it is, If you eat and don't move, you're gonna add extra weight. It's it's excess calories against, you know, what you're you're taking in and what you're putting out, basically. There's no other way around that, unless you have underlying medical conditions like thyroid or something like that. You know, there could be underlying problems, it's fine. But the majority of people is like, just move more and eat better. You know, you don't have to eat less. I add to my diet. People laugh when I tell them, there's no restrictions here. It's, there's no fad diets. It's about adding to your diet. They're like, what? You want me to add to my diet? And I'm like, yeah. You know, add, add the fresh fruit and veg. Add all the, ve- you know, it's all about volumizing food. And, you know, it's not just about having the little bit of rice. Like, you know, throw the rice in the pan. Add in all your veg, like volumize it. Make it bigger. Sit down and, and eat your full meal. You know, take your time eating it. Be, be a bit more mindful. You know, be in tune with your body. Eat when you're hungry. You know, who says you have to sit and have breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever? You don't. If, if you want to consume all your calories in in one huge meal in the day and take two hours to eat it, so be it. And I suppose being in the bodybuilding world, I would have seen it a lot, like, oh, fast and cardio. You have to do it this way. You have to glug down your protein, whatever, you know. No, you don't. I mean, I still have a relatively lean muscle mass in my body, and but I don't chuck down protein shakes after the gym or whatever, you know, it's all about understanding. Like, when you do resistance training, you're breaking down the muscle, okay? So you're breaking down that muscle. So we need something to repair that. Yes, we need some protein to repair it, but we also need something to build it. So we need our carbohydrates to build it. You know, we need our carbohydrates for the function of the brain. So low-carb diets, like you're, 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 you're preventing your brain from working to its full functionality. You know, we need carbohydrates for the brain. We need fats in our body. And it's understanding that. It's understanding the amount of calories for me or for you. Like it's, I know it's not all about calorie kind of counting, but it's the only way you can kind of explain it. Like So, you know, I, I would know my maintenance calorie. I know how I can come, maintain where I am today. And I know the amount of movement I'd have to do to maintain that or the amount of food. If I wanted to eat more food, well, I'm just gonna to have to move a little bit more. Or if I want to lean down, okay, I don't really, I'm not a firm believer in, in, in coming down a lot in my food because I love my food. I might come down to maybe 10% in the food-wise. And I might just do an extra hike in the week. It doesn't have to be constantly out there and pushing yourself and having to exercise eight times a week or whatever. You know, just some crazy stuff out there. But it's, I think it's just, it's, it's educating people around that. When you educate, it's amazing to see people when they finally get to understand the concept. It's not just about stepping on a scales, You know, it's body composition, it's inch loss, it's overall fat. If The majority of clients that would come to me would be like, oh, I want to lose weight and get toned. I want to get fit and get toned. And I'm like, well, why is that? Why? You know, you, you, you go deeper, you dig deeper, deeper, deeper. There's always underlying the reason why they want to and it's understanding then and helping them see like you know so okay for in my eyes as, as a coach i would somebody comes to me and say i, I want to get fit, and i want to i want to get toned i want to get abs or whatever you know and i'm like okay so it's like you want to start doing some resistance training and build up some lean muscle so that you're toning out and that's basically what it is because when you think of a muscle think of a pound of butter you know you can just envision that and the pound of butter is nice and hard block that that's your muscle that's a nice lean muscle so that's taking up less space. But if you take that same pound of butter and melt it down, the space, the volume, the mass of it, it spreads out everywhere, okay? So you think it the same. A pound of butter weighs the same as a pound of muscle, but the muscle just takes up less space and that's what's giving you that lean look, you know? And it's just explaining that to people and getting people to understand that concept and stopping so obsessed with stepping on scales. like. For instance, I think I was 149 pounds on Monday. I don't really get obsessed about weight, but I'm just doing it as a, as a kind of experiment for myself so like I can show people. And just this morning I was 145. That's four pounds in the difference. But I've still been eating the same amount of food and the same amount of exercise over the last week. But I'm a woman, you know. Maybe, okay, did I sleep well the night before that, that I was gone up in pounds? Maybe I was a little bit more stressed that day, or did I eat later at night or whatever? But that four pounds is not fat. The majority of the times that is just excess. It's just water weight and it's not fat. You know, in order to gain a pound of fat, you have to be eating three and a half thousand calories extra every week to gain a pound of fat. So like if you have one bad day, you're not gonna get fat from having one bad day of binging left, right and center. Just get up the next day and start again. And okay, we start again and, and take it one meal at a time, like one step at a time. And I think it's just educating people around all that. I could talk about this all day, Aaron. So <laughs> I can
0: I can hear that. Um, <laughs> so if, if I came into you tomorrow as as a new client and said, "Hey, um, I'm I'm looking to get from 85 kg to 80 80 kg in the next maybe 12 to 14 weeks," what what would be the process that you that you would go through?
1: That is doable. So that's not that's not uh, as obviously for a male as well. That is doable over I'd say 12 16 weeks, depending on obviously I have to do. A consultation with you first and get an idea because obviously the more you can tell me the better i can help you mm. you know so we go through kind of a, it'd be an hour-long consultation and i would look at every areas of your life you know we look at your sleep we look at stress what type of work you do you know are you in a sedentary job you know are you on your feet all day we take a look at your, your your kind of eating patterns, you know, look at your environments. Where do you eat? How do you eat? Are you a, a kind of an eater on the go, stuffing stuff into your mouth and mindlessly eating, you know, so there's a lot more involved. It's looking at the broader spectrum and, and getting as much information as I can so that I can lead you then in the right direction. So that would be kind of the first process. And, and, and then we get you up and running on the programme and depending on what the individual wanted, like so obviously weight loss, there's going to be maybe a bit of exercise involved, depending on what your level, what type of exercise you like. And that we could look at working out whatever way you want to work out. You know, not everybody likes the gym, so home workouts or whether it's going out running or whatever. But the main thing would be the nutrition end of it on that, because obviously just getting your nutrition on point, you lose weight without even having to exercise. You will lose weight if you're getting your nutrition on point. But I'd always kind of like to, because as I said, I'm trying to build a lifestyle for people that they're going to feel better in themselves anyway. So obviously when you have the nutrition right, you're gonna have a lot more energy anyway, you know, because you're getting the vital minerals and vitamins and the amount of calories you need for your body and you're gonna feel a lot better in a, you know, you're gonna get that spring back in yourself and feel energized. When you're eating the right foods as well, you know, when you're filling your, nourishing your body, as I say, with, you know, you're nourishing to flourish. So you're gonna nourish not only your body and your gut, you're nourishing your mind because you're sending, you know, all the vital vitamins and minerals and that we need into our bodies and you're gonna start feeling better you're going to start maybe getting out there and wanting to do more and you can think better you've got clarity you've got focus because your body's getting enough food so that's kind of the process and I like that it would just it would be kind of working like you know you'd probably check in every two weeks or whatever because depending on, on the client and what program they want to pick you know because obviously you've got different levels you know on the amount of one-to-one coaching obviously it's a lot more expensive than say someone who would like to join maybe the membership group which I'm I'm, I'm going to start running next week just to make it more accessible to the general public i'm going to open up my program and um, to a kind of a membership basis where there'll be a minimum sign up of three months it would be a good starting point for i the program in in longevity it is a year-long program and i would recommend anybody who wants to really change you know their ways or overcome challenging times or get healthier get fitter but in a healthy way, in a sustainable way and learning and, and learning the tools and educating yourself to be a healthier, happier, fitter, new and lead a more fulfilling life. That The year-long I would definitely recommend because, as I said, it's a deep health program, so you're not just working on the physical aspect, you're working on every area of your life as well. But with the membership program, you know, I was thinking of a way like how, how can I help people in the current climate and realistically how how many clients can I take on the membership because I do, you know, obviously my higher end coach and working with a one-to-one person, they would really get a lot of value for their money. And in my eyes, I mean, you can't really put a price on your health Aaron. Anyway, to be honest. And I think, you know, for people who are really serious about changing their ways and getting on in life and that, I mean, it's not a lot to invest over a year. So, you know, I, I am looking at ways that I can kind of, you know, get people in the current climate. I think people are going to need something as I said, it could be like some kind of a membership group and I, I would open it up to a certain amount of people. They would have access to the to the, the actual program, but it wouldn't be as much one-to-one. It would be more kind of like a group setting where I, I would maybe come on once a week in a Facebook group or something like that. I haven't worked it out 100% just yet, but I have the idea in my head so that I could just make it more accessible and more affordable to the general public as well.
0: Do you do body compositions as well in your practice?
1: Oh, I can do all that,
0: yeah. Oh, oh, cool. Kind of, if someone is new to, to it and they they want again, to get into the sport, can I explain what a body composition is?
1: As in the bodybuilding end of it?
0: Bodybuilding and kind of like, in general, I mean.
1: Well, the body composition, I mean, what do you mean by that? Like, I mean, obviously, well, if you're at home and you want to get into like bodybuilding and body composition, we'd have to look at where you're starting from. We have to look at where you're starting from. Are you someone that maybe wouldn't need to lose weight first and start building up some muscle? Have you ever worked out in the gym before? Like, realistically if somebody wants to to compete and has never competed before you're you're talking about a two-year process and that's only starting point you know it's not an overnight thing it's a progression And if you want to do it in a healthy way it's a progression and you know all these six week 12 week body blast courses that i'll get you on stage in 12 weeks like they know nothing about that person or their background or where they're coming from you know and i just don't agree i think if somebody wanted to compete, you'd have to build up a relationship with them and see, first of all, are they mentally able for it? Because I have had young girls come to me who wanted to do the bikini competitions and that, but they had such bad relationship with food. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm not going to work with you. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to eating disorders or disordered eating, as I would call it. For me, those type of clients, I would have to try my best to, get them to build a better relationship with food first before they even think about allowing them to start the journey to compete on stage. Because there's a lot of mental into it as well. You know, the, the whole mental aspect of it. As I said, people can become obsessed with exercise and people can become obsessed with food and this kind of binge eating because you'd often see pictures up, you know, on social media that after bodybuilding and there's they're just stuff on their faces with donuts and whatever else. Like, I mean, you have to think about the reverse diet too, you know, which is really important. Because, you know, if you've been on so little calories and, you know, I you, you mean, probably the last six weeks, you probably would be a bit more restricted in, in what you can eat than that. But up until that, you've no problem. I mean I ate everything. It was just maybe the last six weeks. So like you you know, you're going you know, you, you have to be really mindful of that. And then when you when you come out of that bodybuilding competition, like to do that reverse diet, that has to be done in a structured way as well, as you can imagine, because otherwise, you know, you're gonna you're gonna start building up bad relationships. This this thing of Cheap days, and I just, I, I just, oh, I don't agree with any of that whatsoever. Why have a, You don't need a cheat day. I mean, you, you can sustain. You can if you're continuing to lose weight on the same amount of calories throughout the week. You know, you don't need cheat days or this this thing of labeling. It's it's building up those negative relationships with food.
0: When you were competing, what was your ideal body weight and body and body fat?
1: I didn't go by numbers, Aaron. I didn't, that for me, it wasn't about numbers whatsoever. I think the first bodybuilding competition, I got down to about 58 kilos Mm. and body fat was probably around 19 or something, which was still relatively really healthy. And I was really lean, you know, but I wasn't obsessed with that end of it. You know, it's not about a figure. When you step out on stage, there, the judges aren't asking you what what weight you are or what what um, percentage of body fat you are. They're looking at your body. They're looking at you know the muscle definition, how well you pose, how well you show off those muscles. Which I didn't because my posing was atrocious. <laughs> um, yeah, you know they're you know they're looking at the actual muscle definition how the muscles have been built are the right muscles being built have you got that glute hamstring connection have you built up all areas of your body you know they're looking at the lats spread front poles side pose. they're looking at the definition of the muscles they're not asking you what weight you are obviously if you haven't leaned down to you know a, a low body weight you're not going to see those muscles as defined if that makes sense so I never got obsessed with, with, with the figures or the body fat composition and like I said for me it was the mental journey as about how I was feeling what was it
0: like to jump out of an airplane?
1: Oh my God, that was just one of the best days ever. I, I actually did that for a children's charity and um, Crumlin Hospital for the Heart Foundation. And it was one of the most exhilarating, amazing, wonderful experiences I've ever done in my life. <laughs> just like I can't explain it. It was just, I do it again anyway. Yeah, definitely do it again. It was just that sudden, that that minute you jump out, it was just like, because you free fall for about the first two or 3,000 feet, I think it's about 60 seconds in total, you're free falling. So it's just that mad rush. You can't hear anything because obviously the wind and then you're falling at such a rate and (laughs) you, you can't really hear anything. And then once the parachute is open, that quietness, it was just like, oh my God. It was just so still. It was so quiet. And it was just the most wonderful feeling ever. Yeah, it was just amazing. Um, it was a tandem jump now, I had somebody with me. I, I didn't do it alone yet, I didn't do solo just yet. But it, it was just a, one of the best experiences ever. I, I recommend it to everybody. i look I don't have a fear of, of heights, you know, but I, I did, I had that one little moment of just that, you know, that one second and then the next one I was gone. I, I couldn't, there was no turning back anyway, so I had to just jump. <laughs>
0: and were you nervous before doing it or just like, oh, I'm going to do it?
1: I, I I had that kind of in my head, I'm just going to do it, just go. but obviously when I'm nervous, people always know when I'm nervous because I talk at about 100 miles an hour. Like I, I am a fast talker, but I was really like on a high end, my voice would be going, Whoa! and laughing and giggling a lot. So yeah, the, the nerves are obviously were there, but as I said, I, I had a really great guy, um, the guy, he, he put me at ease, and he was really, he ha- we had a bit of, you know, joking and that, and it was funny, you know? and then going up in the little airplane as well. I was—I suppose because none of us really in the air, there was no one that was really that fearful that started panicking, you know, that type of way. Everyone was just having a bit of crack in the banter, and it was just like, I was the second one to jump out. So another girl went before me, and then I was the second one. So I'd say maybe if you're the last one, you probably would be getting that little bit more anxious as it came near your turn. So I, I was quite, a, quite lucky that I was the second person to jump out of the plane on the day, yeah. <laughs>
0: And how does it feel to be a a best-selling author?
1: That was something that just happened. It was meant to happen. I'll give you a bit of background on that story. I'd gone to meet up with with a digital marketing company. I was was in the process of getting my website up. um, And I had gone to, you know, a company and they were, I was telling them my story about how I wanted the feel of my website, how I wanted it to look and that, you know. They were saying oh my god you're amazing you need to go to this event on saturday i think this was a thursday i was like what event and they said it's called the we summit together you need to go there we're, we're we're going to be there we're advertising there we, you know we're we're marketing our brand there you need to be there and this lady's amazing and i was like okay and they said we have a, a voucher code here so I, I was getting an early bird ticket so i said okay geez that's great i'll, I'll go to this So so i didn't have a clue I went off on my own on the saturday morning in dover to the event and I just saw wonderful Donna Kennedy up on stage and I just loved it was just something about her I was just drawn to her and then the opportunity come up to join her and do the, the book course with her and it was just going to be like I think it was something like 2000 euro I didn't even, I didn't know where I was going to get the money from but just something just drew me to her and I went up and I just said look I, I want I want to work with you I want to do this I want to get my story out there I, I knew I'd always wanted to get my story out but I didn't know how to do it I don't like like labels i don't like being seen as a victim of domestic violence or a survivor of domestic violence i don't like those labels i'm just jennifer and i got over i overcome challenging times and i push through challenging times i don't like labels i was explaining this to donna i was like I, I don't know how to get my story out there i just told her and she just she said jennifer you don't even need to talk she said i know by you i want to work with you she said she said i just i get a feeling from you i get this sense and she said i'm normally really good with people She said i i i, I want to work with you she's because I don't work with everybody. And I know Donna, I've actually become great friends with herself and and, and Pat Slattery, you know? And she was like, I just don't work with anybody. But she she just knew, she got that sense and that vibe from me that she wanted to work with me. So yeah, that's how how that all came about. And it was a a great process. It was another part of my my journey and and, in my healing, you know, because there was a lot of tears in there as well, I suppose, because I was revisiting stuff. It was a great it was it was another part of the journey and we got there we we, we, you know was going out into the world and i was like oh my god this is real it's an actual book like oh my god (laughs) people are going to hear about everything and the, the feedback i got was just unbelievable absolutely unbelievable you know and family that were you know were really upset like aunties and that like never knew what i was going through and and you know they were so heartbroken for me and like you should have told us and you know it was just the feedback i got was just amazing and i really got some really really great support you know which which was great and parents mother wasn't too happy you know like my parents of that still in that mindset of oh, what will the neighbours think I don't want people knowing your business you know this type of a thing and you know I didn't like that bit now about the cocaine and all that and you know I was like hey, look ma'am this is not about you this is about me and I think it was the first time I actually stood up to my mother <laughs> I said this is about me and about me wanting to help as many people as I can to overcome um, challenging times you know well, that was just, it was a fantastic experience. Absolutely wonderful experience. And I still can't believe like I'm a best-selling author. Irish Times and Amazon best-selling author. I think there's a book in me because obviously I co-authored that book with, with some other wonderful ladies. I think there's 14 of us in that book. But, you know, I have so many other different areas in my life that I, you know there's a lot still there that you know i, I think there's definitely a book in me in the future an, an actual full book you know on me maybe and maybe some kind of a personal development book as well to help people overcome challenging times as well i, I definitely believe i i a lot more in me anyway
0: <laughs> it seems like you've, you've empowered your own your own life throughout listening to you if if there was one piece of advice that you would give one person on the street to empower their life what would it be
1: I suppose the first thing I I would always say is you are, you are good enough, just as you are. And I think being honest, just be honest with yourself, be truthful to who you truly are. I just, I I, I can't, you know, it's just, I I lied to myself for so long. I lied to myself and it destroyed me. So I think when you're genuinely honest, be unique, be who you want to be, do what you want to do and, and don't be a sheep, don't be a follower. If your gut and your heart is telling you this is not right, it's not for you. Don't just accept it. Just be yourself and do what's best for you. And that's something I just ingrain in everybody, in anyone I meet, any of my clients. I'm saying put yourself first and do what's best for you. Yes, there's going to be compromises, but always be true to yourself. Is this sitting right with you? If it's not sitting right with you, it's not for you. Get out of there
0: we're all we're all living at home at the moment if there was one piece of advice for some food or exercise or something to keep moving what would you what would you advise
1: well as in keep moving um i mean absolutely anything as i would say you know even going around the house blast out your favorite music put on your favorite music dance dance around with the children in the sitting room you know run around your garden if you have a garden you know get out there and just let go and just you know it doesn't have to be structured sit down and do your regular exercises movement is movement yes it's fantastic I can't you know I think I can't emphasize the power of exercise that's fine you know you can still work out at home you can use a chair you can do a full body resistance workout my my, my son trains at home he doesn't go to the gym and he's built himself up because I suppose mammy knows best when it comes to food as well when it comes to food iron look up a cookery book some people you have the time there there's no excuses look up the cookery books do something new try something new batch cooking I believe in batch cooking is fantastic you know so if you're making say for instance a family dinner of spaghetti bolognese do two batches and freeze one batch you know freeze it into portions for those busier days so that you'll always have something nourishing there when you come home get the kids involved that's something I really regretted you know growing up when my were growing up that I didn't do those things with them because I was going through my own emo- emotional turmoil but I'm doing that with my grandson you know so anytime he comes here now it's like I have him up beside me at the cooker or I'll get his hands in I'm making a bit of bread or you know things like that and I'm loving that you know get the kids involved let them get dirty let them mess with the flour and the eggs and it doesn't matter if they get the shells in and that you know I would always be I was always so particular and you know because I was going through my own shit and I didn't you know I didn't have those moments with, with my children if I could turn back time but I can't but I'll have them going down the future now I do like I'm, my son will be down he's all he's, he's my taste tester now he's 19 and you know he's loving all all the little treats I make and things like that and, and they're so so simple Aaron you know you don't have to healthy food it doesn't have to be expensive at all I mean you can go in there to Aldi I mean I could show someone how to shop for a family of four, probably for a hundred quid a week, and you'd have the most lovely, nutritious meals. You wouldn't feel hungry. It's about adding. Like, you know, when you get your yogurts, add some berries, add some seeds, or add some chocolate. You know, chocolate sauce. Like, I love chocolate. I love a bit of chocolate. I'm not gonna have, go a day without a bit of chocolate. It's not restricting yourself. It's it's just, it's understanding the foods that you like and working with, with what you like and eating, I suppose, Being mindful, sitting down, allowing your your body to go into that rest and digest mode. Stop eating on the go and, you know, make it a, a kind of like one meal a day where you all sit down together and have a chat and chew your food and put your utensils down between mouthfuls. Stop shoving it into your mouth because a lot of problems can stem from the way we're even eating like a lot of IBS and stomach problems you know and many people do you know that are on stomach problems and a lot of that is just it's, it's stress related and, and not chewing your food and not sitting down and being relaxed before you actually eat so something as simple as taking a few deep breaths before you sit and have a meal can really help it just it helps relax and as you're cooking and you're getting the smells you're, you're alerting the senses in the body you know that there's food coming so you're already coming into that rest and digest mode you know, cooking and baking—it's therapy. It's therapy in itself. You know, and and then you, you can obviously sit down and enjoy enjoy the end result because you've got a delicious meal.
0: Jennifer, if you go go back and and chat to your your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: That's that's just simple, Aaron. It? Just, it's just—it's love me for who I am. It's just love yourself. Like genuinely love me from within i i am enough i'm beautiful i am amazing and just just love love yourself because until you love yourself nothing else is, in life is is ever going to fall into place for you because you'll just you'll just be that acceptance you'll accept what is accept and love yourself first
0: excellent um if anyone wants to get in touch or find out about more work where can they go
1: facebook and instagram i'm at j coaching so they're probably the best places to get me at
0: Jennifer, it's been a blast and a pleasure uh, chatting with you and thank you so much for coming on to the show.
1: Oh, absolute pleasure, Aaron. You're a gentleman. Thank you so much for having me on. Hi, I'm
0: Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.